This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, the entire concept of wellness is more than one that just fits into the medical model of physical health. And joining us with his own concept of what constitutes wellness is Dr. Koshal Nadavati. He's Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at Upstate Medical University and the Director of Integrative Medicine at the Upstate Cancer Center. Welcome, Dr. Nadavati. Thanks Thank for you coming very much. in. Now, you bring a very special orientation to wellness. Just give us a feeling. Tell us about that. Well, I think about the position of a clinician or a doctor uh, and the, th- the word healthcare. And we focused on disease management, disease orientation for a long time with prevention, management, innovation. But when it comes to helping people to optimize their living experience, I think about wellness as being the roots uh, of how we can get people grounded in a life routine that brings them contentment and peace. So one of, so in order to get to that, I mean, place of peace, so to speak, or that grounded feeling, there are there's more to it than just, let's say, exercise and diet, and although those might be components, and those are the things we mostly focus on. So give us an overview of what you think are kind of the important elements then. Well, when you think about life and the living experience, uh, you think about the mind, the body, the spirit. Uh, you think about people in context of themselves, their relationships, their community. Uh, and so helping people to understand that the physical health Uh, is one aspect of their wellness, but the mind, the spirit, their relationship with themselves and with community are just as important. So I like to talk about uh, what I call the core four, nutrition, physical exercise, stress management, and spiritual wellness. Uh, And it's broader than a religious perspective. It's about understanding your stage in life, your place in community with yourself, and how do you optimize that experience so that you can be content with your content. Uh, so to speak. That's very interesting. That's a very good way of putting it. Because obviously what you're suggesting is that we don't exist in a vacuum, that we're not just, we all are obviously individuals and unique individuals, but we consist, we exist in a context, and that context is both an internal context and obviously the external context in terms of Relate, as you said, relationships, community, our spirituality, and all of those things play a very important role in somehow achieving this so-called wellness. That's right. And you think about stress and distress and what we see in our communities and our society, and especially in the world at large these days. Uh, and think about yourself in relationship. Um, you're a part of every relationship you're in. And so it's sort of like the spokes on a wheel with you being at the center. You know, you can either focus on trying to impact every spoke or you can focus on strengthening yourself. And what happens is if you're not contented or at peace, then none of those relationships have a chance for peace. But the minute you are, all of those relationships have a chance for contentment and peace. And so is it easier to work on 50 or is it easier to work on one? <laughs> and too often we ignore ourselves, uh, and that's where the problem starts. So instead of trying to change everyone else, you really have to start with the number one. That's exactly right. So how did you come to this very interesting, first of all, I hear you focusing a lot on the word peace, that peace somehow is um, essential for achieving wellness. And And obviously it's not just peace, well, it's peace in the world, hopefully, but it starts with peace within. That's right. So how did you, where did you develop this perspective? Tell us a little bit about that. So, I mean, my background, uh, I was born in India, uh, and when I was seven, I moved to Rochester, 
my father was a homeopathic uh, medicine practitioner, uh, and my grandfather was a village doctor. Uh, so this is something that's been inherent in, in who I am. But uh, in college, I also minored in literature and philosophy. And so looking at world philosophies, look, understanding world cultures over time, what you start to see are common themes. And especially having worked in healthcare for the last two decades, you think about uh, stress, distress, and what I see with patients oftentimes, and there's a lot of common theme that comes up. And a lot of that relates to people not being satisfied or content or at peace in their own life. And what this does is leads to distress, but biochemically, it leads to a response in the body that increases stress or cortisol. Uh, and that can also have an impact on chronic disease when we talk about cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, uh, as well as inflammation that can lead to bowel irregularities, autoimmune conditions. So this word peace uh, is one that actually represents a state of being where the body is not as stressed. Uh, and so that actually helps in the healing process and in maintaining health. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm here with Dr. Koshal Nanavati, and we're talking about his core four pillars of wellness and how one can achieve um, health, I guess, wellness and health. But these concepts are fascinating and, in a way, a, a little bit of a different way of looking at the entire experience of, of life and health. But how do you? How does one get there? Now, you recently had just has have just completed a book called "The Core Four of Wellness." Tell us about that, the book, and what's in the book. And you know, let's talk a little bit more about how people can get actual effectuate some of these concepts, put right. them into practice. So uh, the the book actually uh, started. My son is fourteen now. When he was two. Uh, and I had been married for about five years at that time. My wife uh, said one day, you know, I actually buy into what you're talking about now. So I already had won over, you know, arguably my toughest audience. <laughs> and uh, so she said, why don't you put it in book form so other people can get it, even outside of your own practice. So I started when he was two. And then over the years, the joke became that, you know, if you ever actually finish it, she said, you know, I'll publish it for you. So uh, this year we finished it. Um, and so we published it, self-published. Uh, but the goal is really to share information that I've been sharing with patients over the years related to nutrition, uh, focusing on the best evidence. So Harvard has an evidence-based food plate that's based on all the current evidence we have. Uh, so it details that to some degree. Uh, so that tells you what to eat? What to eat. What amounts to eat? Uh, and prioritizing in the major categories. So the idea is helping people to get their big rocks in place because then the pebbles and sand can sort of take care of themselves versus focusing on the sand or the pebbles. Uh, exercise, the WHO has some great guidelines, the Healthy People 2020 objectives, and so giving people that core information that takes care of that big rock. So back, back up for a second. So diet. You've gone to a great source with, yep. with that the Harvard program, and exercise another great source. So you're giving that to people in the within your book. Within the book. Okay, and what's the third? And then with stress management, uh, the simple concept, and I call it simple, 
the idea of owning what's yours and letting go of the rest, uh, it's a big challenge, right? I see so you smiling. I'm <laughs> smiling. I'm clearly smiling. So how does that, let's define that a little bit better. Say more about what that means. That's right. So uh, for people, it's a simple exercise where you can take some time to reflect on all the things that are stressors or distressors in your life. Uh, I actually had one person bring in, you know, eight pages when I asked them to do this. <laughs> and then I said, now split into two columns, things I can do something about, things I can't control. And she came back, and the one page was hers to own. The other seven were stresses in her life, but she wasn't directly responsible for them. And what it does is it allows you to focus on the things in your life that you can do something about, right? Make the change where you can impact it. And for those things that you don't directly control, you don't have to own them, right? But if you don't own them, how then do you cope with them, I guess, is the next question. And so what happens is whenever your mind goes to focusing on those things, come back to your list of things you can do something about, Take one, make an action plan, get it off your plate, get a nice permanent marker, and then erase it. And as you see your active item list shrinking, you know you're actively managing your life. And you're less distressed knowing that you're being the best that you can be for yourself. Uh, and that's truly the best we can be. I just came from teaching a first-year medical student class, and what we told them was being the best isn't always in your control, but being your best is. Personal best. That's correct. But let's get back to this idea of stress. So do you give concrete suggestions for, besides taking action on a particular stressor, if there are things that, um, if, if you're feeling high levels of stress, obviously, as you alluded to earlier, they develop you know, higher levels of cortisol, all kinds of bodily reactions, somatizations, all kinds of issues. What do you recommend for people as the best way to reduce stress? So besides healthier nutrition, which can help reduce inflammation, and exercise, which helps with cortisol, the idea of deep breathing, right? We talk about meditation, and some people are turned off by that word still in our society, thinking of it as a secular activity. But the reality is it's about deep breathing. And every world culture, every great philosophy uh, has mechanisms by which people can take time to reflect uh, to connect uh, and deep breathing or meditation are another way to do that. So uh, I teach people how to do something called golden light meditation. Yes, I was going to ask you that because I think besides the fact that people can be turned off, quote unquote, from the concept of meditation, I think a lot of people don't understand how to get there. That's right. It's, it's very kind of elusive and, and there's so much material out there that's linked also to theology that people may be put off by that. That's right. And there's a science behind it. So the idea of deep breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, uh, you can breathe in for five seconds, eight seconds, 10 seconds, start with a, a shorter time and then increase that and breathing out through the mouth. But when you breathe in, it's abdominal breathing. So your belly comes out. When that happens, the diaphragm goes down, your lungs expand in the areas where you have the greatest volume, so you get more oxygen in. Uh, that helps to also blow off carbon dioxide, which is a trigger for anxiety. So I tell people to visualize a golden light at the top of their head, and when they breathe in, just see that light expanding outward, and when they breathe out, see it going down into the body, soaking your body like a sponge, taking it down into your fingertips, down to your toes, and then slowly bringing it back. Uh, and in doing that, in that process, the mind can wander. Our mind is restless at times. When it does, just come back to the light. It's a simple thing, and it can take 
two minutes, it can take 10 minutes, people can do it for longer periods. Uh, even 10 deep breaths alone can have an impact on reducing anxiety by blowing off the carbon dioxide so that you're not about to trigger an anxiety attack. Uh, so one simple breath can interrupt a pattern. Uh, a friend of mine named David G uh, travels the world teaching this. Uh, it's called the pattern interrupt breath. So if you're distressed... Say that again, the pattern interrupt breath? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in that, at any point, if you're distressed, just take one deep breath, and what it does creates a pause in the pattern that was causing you distress so that now you can reflect and change direction. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I've been doing with patients recently is instead of trying to change your life 180 degrees, how about starting with one degree of change, right? Impact one simple thing. See how the worldview looks. If you like it, stay there. If you don't, make one degree of change until you get to that place where you're contented and you're finding peace. And again, for a person at 20 versus 40, at 60, the same person at different stages in their life may find that different things define contentment and peace for them. And so we do need to take time to reflect throughout our life about where we are, are we contented, are we at peace, and every fork in the road where we have to make decisions, if we choose our peace, then we're constantly building a life that's grounded in our peace. Yeah, that's very well said. And it strikes me that it's very, very important to do something that you just said, which is to take time, to stop and think and pause and reflect. And whether it's through deep breathing or some other methodology, to take time. And I think in our very harried lives these days with 24-7 news cycles, with being plugged into every kind of apparatus on the planet, it's very common that people are not taking those kinds of reflective moments to stop and pause and reflect and to maybe even change direction as a well, result. And, and we're all scheduled, right? We all have schedules. I came here at a scheduled time. We have a scheduled time. So we don't put in our schedule time for ourselves. Uh, just yesterday I told a patient, you know, you need to put that in your schedule, and that way you can be better off. Let's get to the fourth thing. So we, we went through diet, we went through exercise, we went through um, stress and spirituality very quickly because we're going to run out of time. So with spiritual wellness, the focus is contentment and peace and understanding that the word selfish is not a bad word when it means self-care, self-love, and self-respect. Uh, so most of us aren't selfish enough. I'd encourage our audience to start being more selfish in uh, taking care of themselves, focusing on their wellness. Yeah, very important words. I think that word selfish has a very negative connotation in our, um, in our world. And I came up with my own over the course of many years, and I said self-full. And I think that's something that's very important in many people, especially in today's world where we're juggling so many responsibilities, they have a really hard time learning how to do that. Right. So I thank you so much for coming in and sharing this with us. Your book is out there. I hope people decide to take a look at it. But in any case, your work is very, very important. Thanks so much for coming in. My guest has been Dr. Koshal Nanavati, Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at Upstate Medical University. And um, he's also the Director of Integrative Medicine at the Upstate Cancer Center. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. Thank you.